Welcome to Knit British, the podcast which looks at all the connections of Britishness in wool and knitting. On this journey through local fibre and meeting some of the people involved from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British, love local wool. On today's show, I have a fantastic interview with Joy McMillan, who is otherwise known as the Knitting Goddess. We talk about her background, her dyeing process, her colour inspirations and much more. All that and some future plans, a little bit of news. So grab your drink, grab your whip and let's get going. This month, Knit British is delighted to be sponsored by The Knitting Goddess. Joy is an independent hand dyer based in Harrogate, creating luxury hand dyed yarns using British wool bases. Sign up for The Knitting Goddess newsletter to receive exclusive subscriber discounts for the weekly shop updates. Click on the logo in the show notes or visit www.theknittinggoddess.co.uk. Hello and welcome in to Knit British. I hope you are all well and you have a cuppa in hand and a comfy seat and you're knitting close by and you're looking forward to wasting a few minutes away with me here at Knit British HQ. How are you all doing? Things are pretty good here and pretty busy having fun, really. Uh, Lots of exciting things have been happening of late. A couple of weeks ago, I was back at Fluff in Dundee. And thank you once again for the great feedback that keeps on coming from that interview that I did with Leona. But this time I was there for the launch of a really special local yarn which I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. This yarn is Rose Dean Ryland. It's a coloured Ryland yarn, 100% grown in Angus in Scotland and spun by the Natural Fibre Company. The sheep are kept by Rosemary Champion, who you may know from her website, theaccidentalsmallholder.net. And the resulting yarn, which I have here, is is gorgeous. It's plumpy. It's almost a light worsted, very woolly wool. The kind of wool that you, when you see it, you know it just begs to be made into something really warm and insulating as well as pretty and Jules Billings who is Woolen Flower was also at the launch and she is about to release a mitten pattern made in this fantastic yarn and also Jenny Reed, who uh, was taking photos on the day as well she um, had knit Maya shawl by Justine Lodakowska um, as a sample and when I saw that I was like yeah this needs to be a really nice warm cozy shawl. The Rose Dean flock as I said based in Angus in Carnoustie and the sheep are pedigree coloured rylands and the flock was established there in 2007. There are now 15 breeding yows. Uh, apparently the ryland breed is one of the oldest breeds in Britain and it or- originated around Hereford. 
Rosemary says on our website that violins are popular with smallholders and new sheep keepers because they're small sheep, they're docile, they're kind of easy to handle. I particularly love them because they look like little teddy bears of sheep. They're just woolly everywhere from... <laughs> From the top of their heads down to <laughs> down their legs to the tips of their toes, um, hoofs, whatever, webs. They're gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it was really interesting talking to Rosemary and her talking about the breed and how quite often some farmers think that the um, the coloured sheep are not as prestigious as the white sheep, but my goodness me, they're so cute. And I'll see if I can steal some of Jenny's pictures uh, to put on the website to show you. And I love the colour of the yarn. The colour of the yarn is like a peaty, peaty, smoky grey. I just love it. It's, it's a really gorgeous yarn indeed. Leona had some of the carded and washed fleece and it was just so dense and wooly. As I say, the coloured sheep produce this really lovely heathered, grey, peaty, smoky, coloured yarn and I just love it. I just think it, the yarn will make such a nice warm garment. Uh, in fact, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't buy enough for a sweater but hey-ho, I'm sure Rosemary will let me buy some more from her. Um, but it was a great launch. It was lovely to have the launch at Fluff and uh, there were a lot of wool lovers there in attendance all squishing and appreciating and buying and it was particularly lovely to see some familiar faces and just have a sit and a knit and a chat and a nice cuppa and there was lots of great chat actually one or two future plans were made I think and as I say the wool was purchased and I, of course I've just said I didn't buy quite enough but I did buy four balls so I'm planning on knitting Catchy Frankel's Stepping Stones Triangle Shawl which came out this week and it has a very appealing hap-like edging which I don't think is inspired by haps at all I think it's inspired by um, water and waves but uh, it just totally jumped out at me and as I say, this this is a really nice woolly warm wool and so it's going to make a really gorgeous textured knit and so I'm looking forward to casting that on. And you can get your hands on the Rose Dean Ryland yarn by visiting rosedeanryland.co.uk R-O-S-E-D-E-A-N-R-Y elandcouk It's a very lovely £5.50 per 50 grams, which is 110 metres. And as again, it's available in, in a natural colour. Yay for the nature shades. Um, how is your Me Made May going? As I said before, I'm trying to finish some whips, but it's not going very well. It's kind of slow going. I have in front of me on the desk... My Talavera by Amanda B. Collins in Deep Stash Yarn Pony Mustang in the Sycamore colourway. And I, up to the arms on that, I just, I'm on, I think there are eight repeats on the arms uh, on the front to do and I'm sort of halfway along. And really loving that knit, but it feels like it's going slow, although now that I've split the body... Um, to work on the front it's going a little bit faster and I also have here in front of me the Lady Grey hat by Claire Devine in The Witching Hour by Ginger Twist Studio in the sheepish Aran which is gorgeous gorgeous blues 
Uh, and it was funny because when I went into Ginger to a studio one day, it just popped at me as soon as I came in the door and I was like, my goodness, have you, I haven't seen this before. And it, it, The Witch in Iron is a, is a colour that Jess has has died before and continues to die, but I hadn't seen it on that base before, so I grabbed it for myself. And oh, I'm not very far on that either. Those are only two of my whips as well. Those are only the two that I'm willing to mention. I have others. Um, I, I might talk about them after me made me and see how far along I get with <laughs> trying to finish them. Um, of course, it doesn't help that I cast on the Croftus hat by Ella Gordon this week too. Naughty me, because I wasn't going to be casting on anything new this month. So I shall very much be keeping my Stepping Stones shawl by Katja Frankel in the Rose Dean Rylands until June, if I can very much help it. <laughs> if Kate Davies's Haps book is out before the end of the month, then I am in real trouble because I've got special hap yarn that's sitting waiting to be cast on in one of those glorious haps. I just know they'll be glorious. If, like me, you love a hap, then you must also be chomping at the bit for the book of hap. We love haps here at Knit British. They're a big part of why some of you found the podcast and the, and the Knit British Ravelry group. It's very much time for a special book about haps and show how popular the design and the construction is with designers and knitters and I just can't wait to have a peep between the pages and I'm really excited for the haps book just can't wait for that and I know lots of you hap along knitters and hap fanatics are excited too and in related news if you took part in the knit British hap along last year and if you are going to Shetland Wool Week this year then I'd like to hear from you because I'd, I'm going to Shetland Wool Week too and I'd quite like to arrange a little Shetland hap-along related get-together. Uh, there are absolutely no firm plans at the moment and it's not an official Shetland Wool Week event. It's going to be, whatever we do is going to be very informal. I just want to gauge interest that if you took, so if you took part in the HAP along or if you've knitted HAP since and you've joined in with the Knit British group um, and you're going to be bringing your HAPs to Shetland Wool Week, then I'd really love to hear from you and see if we can organise something in HAP appreciation at Shetland Wool Week. And talking of future plans, there are a couple of things that I need to let you know about. Firstly, at the end of this month, there's going to be an extra podcast episode. I've got an interview with Sylvie of Phileas Yarns, and I've got some other juicy tidbits that will be going out in an episode on Tuesday, the 31st of May different day for the Knit British podcast. Uh, the reason I'm squeezing in another podcast episode is that I'm actually going to take a pod-shaped holiday for the entirety of June. Uh, one reason that I, I've been thinking about having a pod break is last year, due to unfor unforeseen and unfortunate circumstances, I was forced into taking a pod break, but it was very good to take a pod break last summer and recently I've been looking for a bit of a bit of a rebalance I'm changing the way that I work with my non-KB world 
I've recently felt that the non my non-KB life has been making demands on my time in a way that I've not 100% enjoyed. And of course, if you don't enjoy what you do, then don't do it or change it because life is far too short. And also that's pulled focus off some of the things I want to do on the podcast. And so I don't want to keep on saying, oh, I meant to do X, Y, or Z this episode, but I haven't had time or um, I've put this off again or I will do this or I will do that. I don't want to say that. I want to do those things and have the time to do those things and bring you fantastic content like you deserve. And so while I'm not podcasting throughout June and the beginning of July, don't worry, rest assured, I will be using that time to get the balance I need and also bring around some of those changes and some of those features that I've been hinting at. And one of the things I'm desperate to get to look at is our survey and talk about um, the results because you have been incredibly awesome with your feedback and there are plans bubbling away on that front. In particular, a lot of you were very keen to find out how you could contribute to the podcast and I'm working on something that is not simply a stagnant ad on the side of the pod website saying please contribute some small change and it's definitely not going to be something that is in your face kind of re with any kind of regularity where I'm asking you to contribute monthly or contribute uh, regularly. Um, let me think of a nice diplomatic way to say this because I don't think that you necessarily have to give money on a regular um, basis for the running not this podcast anyway because I do make a little bit of money on Knit British from sponsorship all of that money goes into prizes postage of prizes which uh, <laughs> can I just say can vary widely depending on where the parcel is going I've posted three copies of the wool tribe to the very very worthy winners and two of them cost £1.35 each and the other one which was leaving the country um, costs cost nearly £9. Um, so postage, prizes, hosting fees, sometimes the coffers are a little bit fuller and I can uh, afford a train ticket to jump on a train and go and interview someone or uh, take you along to an event and that's awesome. Um, and that makes me happy that I can enable that for you. And it's really, really lovely that you feel that you want to con contribute to that too. So I'm thinking of up something a bit special for that. As I say, I don't intend to make a lot of money from the Knit British podcast. That's just not why I do a podcast. As you know, I like to do things my own way. <laughs> so I've been putting a little bit of thought to that. Uh, I, what I want to do uh, with this podcast, I want to do and bring you good quality content. I don't think that you need to pay me money regularly and I therefore have to work harder to bring you even more content and more special items. Um, that's that's just not what Knit British was built on or built for. So um, I won't be doing that, rest assured. And if you don't want to contribute, that's fine too. I'm just glad you're here. I like having you around. <laughs> um, I've also been working on some very special 
very early days collaborations, which I might be able to tell you a bit more about after the pod break. And I hope you will come back and hear all about that in July. There will also be a new breed um, swatch long focus and I'm pre-booking in some awesome interviews and visits to bring to you when the podcast returns too. So I hope they're not too disappointed that there'll, there'll be a few weeks off the podcast and all of that keeps you excited for what's coming next. But let's not focus on that just yet because we've got another episode to come after this and we've got lots of other good things in store before the end of the month talking of which don't you I am delighted to bring you an interview with Joy McMillan, the knitting goddess, um, who is this month's sponsor of the podcast. And I was really delighted that she um, wanted to do a Skype interview, although she said, I've never done a Skype interview before. Um, I saw her at Edinburgh Yarn Festival. It would have been fantastic to grab her for a couple of words then. But that's really all it would have been because, as you know, Edinburgh Yarn Festival was incredibly busy. So it was fantastic to be able to sit down and have a catch up over Skype and talk about at length about some things. And we had a great Skype uh, uh, the other week. It was Joy's first Skype, which she was really pleased with, as you'll hear. Uh, <laughs> and we talk about her background, how she dies and her di- dying process, uh, especially how you die when you don't have a kitchen. Um, we talk about things like getting the balance right between... Um, work and life which is I suppose a little bit of what I've been just talking about as well and we talk about upcoming events where you'll be able to see joy um, colour inspirations and of course talking about the importance of British wool in her work. In the last episode I announced a very special giveaway from Joy, that being that there is only, at the moment, there is only one remaining skein of the Wensleydale and Shetland four ply left undyed. Uh, She is waiting for the next lot of yarn to be spun. Uh, So there's one solitary skein left and she's given the opportunity for one knit British listener to have their own colourway dyed on that skein. It would be an incredibly unique and bespoke thing. Um, The thread closes at 12pm on Friday the 20th of May which is today so when you're listening to this the thread may already be closed and I will announce the winner which will be chosen by Joy on the next podcast, which is the 31st of May. Can't believe how special a prize that is. And again, so many thanks to Joy for such a generous prize. The good news is that Joy has just been in contact with me to say that she got a voicemail from Lara at the Natural Fibre Company to say that the next batch of Wensleydale and Shetland yarn is going to be spun and ready to be sent out to the Knitting Goddess in the next fortnight. So it will not be long before there is more of that incredible yarn in the shop. 
there is some Wednesday and Shetland for apply in the shop at the moment, but what's there is all that is there until that next batch comes. Now, Joy updates her online shop weekly, and if you go to www.thenittinggoddess.co.uk now, there ought to be a delicious update of Brit Sock. I say ought to be because I'm recording this on Wednesday evening and the update uh, is scheduled for 1pm th on Thursday. <laughs> this is the magic of audio recording. <laughs> and it's really worth signing up for Joy's newsletter because every week she gives a special discount code for newsletter subscribers for that week's update. So really, really worth um, becoming a subscriber to the newsletter. Anyway, all of that aside, don't go over there shopping just yet because you've got to listen to our chat. And so I think it's probably about time that you press pause, go and make a second cuppa, get curled up and join us for a chat. After which I will just pop off. Uh, so I will just say now that I will catch up with you at the end of the month. And thank you so much for listening. Take good care. Here is Joy and I. Hello. Hello. Oh my God, that works. This is so cool. You're Skyping. Yay. How are you? I am good. Some of the things I thought it would be good to chat about, your tagline on your website is yarn, dyeing, knitting, printing, baking and more. But I was just kind of wondering about what what happened before the yarn and the dyeing and the knitting and the printing and the baking and more to get you to that place. What, <laughs> what, what, what was, what's your background? Okay, well, I started off, I had a really boring job in a bank and I worked <laughs> in banking for quite a long time and I worked at the call centre, which was... Actually, it was all right. It was one of these things. It it was a job that sort of, I went home at night and never thought about it. And it left me time to sort of play with a lot of things. And that was really nice. It was sort of the complete opposite to now when, in a way, it's 24-7. You know, so yeah. I did that. And then still with the bank, I moved out to the Isle of Man and Bobby and I got together. And I'd been training at college to do aromatherapy and massage. And Bobby's a homeopath. So we decided that it would be a nice thing to do to open the clinic together. So on the back of that, I handed in my notice and we bought a clinic and set up a clinic. And we did that for years. Really loved it. So I worked with a lot of kids and a lot of old people and it was it was good fun. And then we managed to move house again and we managed to buy a very lovely house, which, well, it had a beautiful view, but it had no kitchen. But the view was really lovely. <laughs> Did you miss that bit in the tour? No. no we, we, <laughs> you we, just were swayed by the view. We did kind of know, but you, we kind of knew in the way that, oh, it needs a kitchen and that's fine, we'll get that sorted, rather than it needs a kitchen and in 18 months' time the, the builder will be putting the, the oven in on Christmas Eve so I can make a Christmas cake. <laughs> and because of that, it just didn't work to work from home doing anything, sort of soothing and relaxing. So something that had been a hobby kind of grew a lot more and it's just sort of become a full-time thing and and it's really lovely that it's grown that way i've sp spoken to people before who sort of started creative businesses out of a need to get away from the 
the the rigors of the nine to five but it sounds to me that that was a very how it happened to you was a very organic and natural movement I think I started dyeing yarn um we'd been out in Seattle on holiday and I bought yarn to knit a jumper and came home and realized that I'd managed to buy three different dialogues which in the cold <laughs> hard light of day didn't go terribly well and it was a bit far to go back and say please can I change this and I thought well I could probably dye them um and I bought some dyes and had a go and loved it and then found somebody who would sell me some yarn and bought some more and put it on eBay and it sold and it was only ever meant to be a hobby and as Bobby Fondley says it's a hobby that got a bit out of hand. That's obviously, did you sell on eBay for a while or was it just in the very beginning? I sold on eBay for quite a while and I'd probably have carried on selling on eBay but one of the people who came to me for massage was a web developer and he'd said well you know if you want to set up a website I can help you get started with it because I would have thought oh, that is just so beyond what I can look to tackle. So he started setting this up and because he didn't understand anything about what I was selling he sort of got so far with it and then it was like actually you're on your own and it really wasn't that hard but I'd never have made that first step I think to to sort of do that myself. I, mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think a lot of people can find that issue that it's, you know, there are platforms like eBay and Etsy and things where it's just, it's made to look a little bit easier for you. But at, in actual fact, setting up a website and, you know, dealing with it yourself is not just too much further a hop, skip and a jump to doing it yourself. No, I think in a way it's almost easier because you can sort things out how you like. But I suppose with Etsy, and especially eBay a while ago, it wasn't full of Chinese imports. It really was quite a good place. Amanda from Natural Dye Studio used to sell on eBay. And there were quite a few dye, people who dyed yarn selling that way. It's all changed and moved on. And So in the beginning, were you just dying in your non-existent kitchen? Or did you have a workspace um, I actually started dyeing before we moved into the house that had no kitchen. So we were in a flat with an absolutely, absolutely tiny kitchen. And I got an email from this woman who'd bought yarn from us and, and she was in the States. And she was coming over to Isle of Man and she wanted to bring a bus tour to see us. And I think she she sort of thought it was it was kind of more of a business than it was. So no, we had absolutely no space to start with. And that was really good. Because it kind of made me think that actually I didn't need masses and masses of space to do stuff. And yeah. it's only actually since we moved up to Harrogate that we've actually had a workshop out of the house. So it's the first time ever that I haven't worked them home. And that's really lovely. Oh, well, I bet it's because you must have more space and, and more uh, room to be creative rather than, oh, I must put this kitchen back together again before we have to make the dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we sort of jokingly said that in the house we bought that had no kitchen, we, you know, it wasn't I died in the kitchen, we cooked in my dye room. <laughs> <laughs> because literally the kitchen was the, the things I used for heating my dye baths on. It's sort of five o'clock, I would stop dyeing and we would start thinking, right, what one pot dinner can we concoct, right? <laughs> So definitely the studio was the way to go. <laughs> it's been really lovely because before that I've kind of worked in the garage and stuff like that. And it's 
it's nice but it's really easy to think I'll just do a bit more and I'm very guilty of thinking oh, I'll be absolutely fine I won't get messy I'll just wander in there then do something and then <laughs> yeah that's another t-shirt that's now become a only fit for work t-shirt um <laughs> with this now because I have to get out of the house and go to work I have to stop and come home and that's really yeah. lovely and it, it means I have time in the evenings now to do things whereas before it was very easy to think oh, I'll just push on and keep doing things do a little bit more yeah that's where the danger lies I think as well for a lot of people I'll just do a little bit more I'll do a little bit more and you kind of forget about you yeah. and, <laughs> and because, even though it's something you're enjoying doing that you know you, it's it's the difference uh, between coming home I guess from a call center and coming home from your dive studio is the fact that you can leave it at the door when you come in but it's always there as a sort of a you know, it's like that creative fire, I guess, doesn't go out at all. No, yeah, I think what's been really good as well is because I don't think, well, I'll just keep going, I'll keep going. We've got a lot better at actually getting things done rather than thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll put her in and I'll put the dye pots on and I'll make a cup of tea and I'll put her about and then I'll dye something. Now it's very much, actually, I've got a pile of stuff to do and then I've got to go home and do with orders and stuff like that. So it splits out really well. So what does a typical day for you look like then um or is it not is it not a typical day <laughs> there's sort of a typical day but it quite often gets sidetracked <laughs> um usually if we're having a day where things are going to go to plan we're down in the workshop for about eight o'clock um and so to the first thing that happens is the dye pots go into heat and the second thing that happens is the kettle goes on and I start drinking tea um yes and now I tend to go with a list of this is what I need to get dyed today so once things start coming out of dye pots we reskin everything so stuff gets reskinned and then put into we finally got a drawing room which is just basically a cupboard with a heater and a dehumidifier but it's great because it gets things really warm and the rest of the workshop is unheated so in the winter it's a bit of a fight about actually I'll just go and stand in the dye room for a couple of minutes <laughs> and get warmed up. So we tend to be dyeing yarn and winding and skinning and making up mini skins until maybe about two o'clock and then we're home catch up on emails, pack orders, post office run think about the blog, social media, that kind of thing. And that's sort of how it, it fits in. And then if I'm sort of designing or sample knitting, that's more probably in the evening. We kind of really worked out we had to do that. For about 18 months, two years ago, we were quite involved in helping looking after an elderly friend who was out in Isle of Man. And for a while, it was literally the phone would go and it would be drop everything. So we were always kind of thinking, we've got to be ahead of ourselves. And just yeah. to make that not be too horrendous, we had to get really organised and it went from being, well, we don't have to be organised to actually, we really, really need to get things sorted. It's even just things like getting clubs done and out. It was, I suppose, the kind of thing, it's it's fine because you can shut the shop up for a week, but if you if people have paid for clubs and you owe them clubs, they've got to go. And I would be sick at yeah. night if that didn't happen. I would hate that so much. So it was just really thinking a bit further ahead than what are we doing tomorrow and actually what are we doing this week next week week after and it's made it so much easier because <laughs> you've got several clubs and then you have do quite a lot of, of the knitting events throughout the year as well so I guess that's when you need to have that edge up as well 
Yeah, very, very much so. It's the kind of thing, the knitting events always sneak up and it's like Edinburgh. It's yeah. been like, you know, since almost Christmas, we were sort of thinking, oh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. After Edinburgh, then we'll do this. And it was almost like, it was like Christmas again, almost. Everything kind of geared towards that. Well, I still feel like I'm whirling after the Edinburgh <laughs> Yarn Festival. It's ridiculous. I'm not surprised. The podcast lounge was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. It was such good fun. There were definitely more people. And you weren't, were you vending last year? No, we missed no. it because we'd, we'd stuff going on with this, this elderly friend. It was just that oh, yeah. it can't make it happen. So I was so pleased that they said, yes, please come this year. That's so good. But yeah, it was it, there was there was definitely more people. And I think the fact that it was Friday, Saturday instead of Saturday, Sunday, there was almost a kind of sense of a little bit of a rowdiness, this kind of excitement that people were off on a Friday to go yes. to a yarn event. There was a different energy this year and it was incredible. I, I think it's been the highlight of a lot of people's yarny festival year already. You know, <laughs> It was an amazing festival. It's it's very different, I think, in that there's so much social stuff around it. Um, and it's a great venue, and it's not huge. And what they did have done with the space and how they've managed to get in so many fantastic vendors. It's really lovely. I mean, we're doing knitting and stitching in Harrogate this year because it's so oh, beautiful yeah. for this. But you kind of know with that that, you know, at some point there'll be somebody selling walking sticks and somebody selling, you know, <laughs> orthopedic pillows and stuff just because they need yeah. to fill the space up. And you think, this isn't really what I want from a, a craft show at all. Yeah. Um, but we're doing a couple of little ones before that. We're, we're doing Shepley Folk Festival, Ooh. which is, it's not really a yarn thing at all. Um, but my friend Mary Holt, who has Unravel over in Denville, uh-huh. um, which is the most amazing shop. I'm incapable <laughs> of going in there without buying loads of fabric because she goes out to India and buys stuff direct oh wow so all of her stuff comes from it's like women's collectives and stuff supporting amazing people direct rather than it being this has just come from goodness knows where and it's you know somebody suffered on the way this is the complete opposite um and i love that you know you'll go and buy fabric and she'll literally know the person name of the person who blocked it it's just amazing so That's one of the things she's doing at the minute is sorting out her website so all of this fabric will actually be available online because at the minute you have to go and visit. Um, but it's so, so well worth going to visit. It's one of these treasure troves of a shop. It's sort of quite little and narrow and uncivil floors. So she yarn and fabric and amazing Indian things and beads and buttons and that sounds like Aladdin's cave. It is an absolute dream. But she's friends with the person who organises Shipley Folk Festival. So last year there was the Baba Bazaar in a tent. Brilliant! <laughs> it was fantastic. It was really nice. So there was all these people who were here for the Folk Festival and there's a lot of modest dancers and stuff. So people in mad costumes. Wondering. Oh, I love that. It was brill. It was really, really good. Um <laughs> So we're going back this year to do that, and that's at the end of May. Oh, yeah. And then at the start of June, we are at Army Mills. At the oh, for Leeds Wolfpack. Brilliant. That's a brilliant event, and I was hoping to go this year, but we have a, a, a prior event. But it just seems to be, again, that... Like, I love the big yarn shows, the wool fests and things like that, but Leeds is a little bit different because it's all about talking about the heritage of 
that the textile industry in Leeds and it's about celebrating that as well as having great vendors and celebrating the sort of present and future but it just seems such a lovely event and uh, Tracy Holdoid Smith sent me an email this week with all the info about it and I'm just, I'm just so annoyed that I can't go. <laughs> oh Tracy's amazing I think she's one of these people Lots of people know her because she helps Susan Crawford out at shows. Yeah. Um, so people know her from there. Um, and she does amazing stuff with Armley Mills, um, just as a volunteer. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. So we've just finished a screen print design for them because there's going to be a limited edition bag. Oh, fantastic. Because they were flooded over the sort of winter spring when everything was really yeah. bad and it's taken them ages to get back, to get sort of get stuff back going again. So we're doing a set of limited edition bags that will be sold to fundraise for the museum. Brilliant. So the print's going to be part of their logo, which was lovely to get to play with, um, and some yarn. How fantastic. I was so lucky because when I was talking to them about it and I thought, I love the logo. There's something really nice about all the curves and stuff in it. Um, And I thought, I bet they won't let me use it. The logo. I bet they'll be really precious about this logo. Um, and I spoke to Sarah Burton, who has the amazing job title of Keeper of the Museum. That's a brilliant job that. title. <laughs> and she said, yeah, fine, go ahead, play with the logo. Do what you want with it. I was like, wow, fantastic. How good a chance is that to get to do something? That's fantastic. So, so, and that's the, is that the 4th or the 5th of? It's the 4th. I'm definitely going to make the effort to go next year. It, again, it's not about, you know, even about the the, the the kind of vendors who are going to be there. It's really about the the mill and the, the history and the heritage. I really love all that. There's yes. the whole of the museum to walk around. And this thing's like, they've got a vintage cinema. Yes. Which is amazing. And they've got all the trains downstairs and the engines and things. There's loads of stuff to do. Yeah just in case you need to park somebody somewhere and say, see you, <laughs> later. <laughs> I'm going for the wheel now. Yes, I'll be back in a bit. <laughs> and what other events are you doing this year? It always feels like we don't do that that many because we don't do, we don't do Wolf Fest. We don't do Wonderful Wheels. It's, I suppose it's a bit of a balancing act. I love going to festivals and meeting yeah. people. It's great fun. But it takes a lot of time to do and set up. And it's, yeah. it's trying to think what ones work really well. Um, so we're not doing Fibre East this year just because it clashes with something. Mm. But we are doing Yarndale because it's it's only an hour up the road. It's your local. It's my local, yes. Apart from the knitting <laughs> stitching show, but it's yeah. local that I can walk down the road in the morning. And <laughs> to be honest, that's the only thing that makes it that makes it work for us because it's four days. If yeah. we had to be somewhere and stay somewhere for sort of four or five nights, it's not practical to do. It's nice to, to do that and then think, yes, I can just wander up the road and think, yes, I'm home. It's good. <laughs> there are quite a lot of events now. You kind of feel a little bit like, which one should we do? Which one should we go for? And it's getting to the point now where there's actually overlaps of things. Like in September, there's Shetland Wool Week, there's Yarndale and there's Loch Ness Knit Fest all happening. You know, it actually can be a little bit overwhelming. So I can understand why you, 
you, you need to kind of be careful about, you know, pick the right kind of ones for you as well. I'm really sorry that Shetland Wool Week and Yarndale overlap because I would love to work for Shetland Wool Week. I know, it's such a shame and it will always be that week, that weekend because it coincides with the flock book sale. Yes. In, in Shetland. So it's the, they've decided that it's always going to be that that we coincide with that weekend and it's such a shame because I know so many people who always go to Yarndale um, or, uh, and miss out in Shetland or always go to Shetland and, and miss out on Yarndale and I kind of hoped this year that I might be able to do both but I'll, I'll see how energetic I feel. <laughs> uh, we are talking about planning before, do you, do you have to plan this quite far in advance, your sort of festival event year? We tend to know what ones we'd like to do and usually apply quite far ahead and sometimes it takes a while before you know that you're accepted for shows there's no guarantee that you'll ever get into things so yeah it's always a bit of apply cross your fingers and and hope for the best so it was lovely with Edinburgh this year they were really good about telling us quickly that we had a place which was fantastic so we knew quite early that we could start planning for that. Um, yeah, and I guess when it's when you've got to travel quite a distance, then that's really helpful. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sort of better now in a way. Now that we're in Harrogate, we're sort of quite in the middle of things. You know, we're not too far from yeah. anything. But when we lived in the Isle of Wight and we were right in the south coast, a lot of stuff was a long way away. Yeah, that's good. It kind of makes you feel like this, the sky's the limit in a way as well. It's, it's great. It feels like you can go... It's the same with us now, living not living on an island anymore, living in Edinburgh. We forget that we can actually now just go, oh, actually, we'll fest coming up. But you know, yeah, we could just jump in the car. We could do that in a day if we wanted. You know, it's like the last time we went, we had to get a plane and then a train and then stay overnight in a hotel. And <laughs> yeah, you've got, to, you've got to book things so far ahead because you yeah. can't just think, I'm going to wait and see because you've got to get your train booked, your flights. And yeah, it's very different. Well, let's go back to the to the dyeing for for a moment because I wanted to um, ask you about the the dyeing methods that you use, and also talk a little bit about your bases and the rules that you use. Most of the dyeing that we do is dyeing things in big pots, and it's a way I love working because it's a really efficient way to work, partly in terms of time, because once something's in a pot, you can leave it to do its thing. And I can go and wind yarn or prep up a next batch of skeins. So I'm not stood there thinking, this is all I can do. But also, once the yarn is dyed, um, the dyes we use exhaust dye, which means that once the dyeing process is finished, the water is completely clean, which means you can use it for your next batch of skeins. So you're not emptying water out of pans to put more water in them. Um, The water is basically crystal clear. Um, And we can actually even recycle the water that when we spin the yarn to get it dry, just so it doesn't drip everywhere, the water from that goes straight back into the dye box. That's brilliant. We'd quite an interesting thing. When we moved units, we found out that they'd had us in the wrong water meter at the unit next door. So we spent quite a lot of time chatting to Yorkshire Water about exactly how much water we used. And I'd said to the girl, oh, I dye yarn. And she said, I bet you use a lot of water. And it's like, well, I don't think we use all that much. And it turned out we used about 50 50 litres of water a week, which is next to nothing. That's incredible. But it's, it's, it's just nice that 
I know in this country we don't think of water as a scarce resource, but it's not something for wasting. Just good to not, and I suppose not to be throwing things down a drain, which some dye methods have you doing. Which was one of the reasons that we wanted to work with acid dyes. And also because we started off in a kitchen, everything that we did had to be safe enough to be in a tiny kitchen. Yeah. And I love natural dyes, but some of the things you use to mordant yarn with (laughs) and be pretty nasty. And I just didn't want to go down that route. It it wasn't how we started then, having started with the dyes we had. I loved them and I loved being able to get bright, punchy colours, which you can get with natural dyes. It is possible. But sometimes you've got to do things to make that happen that you think, actually, this isn't so healthy. And you sort of look back and dyeing used to be such an unhealthy profession because they were working with heavy metals and so on. And it, it wasn't good. There are people who do beautiful, beautiful natural dyeing. Yeah, it was that. I think it's that thing. It's they're the right things for right people. When I was down in, when we lived down in the South Coast, the guild, the Spinners Guild, I belonged to. Jenny Dean was a member who is incredibly well known natural dyer who's written some fantastic books. And again, it was just so perfectly the right thing. For her, when you went to visit, she has a garden full of the most amazing dye plants, and it's just, it's lovely. When you, as you say, you need to know what's going to work for you and choose the tools and the the materials that you know you can work well with and can produce the kind of thing that you want to produce and the kind of colours that you want to produce. Very much so. The dyes that we work with are lovely because you can dye things in pots with them, but you can hand paint yarn as well, which is a lovely thing to do. And we do that sometimes to get special effects and things. So you can do that and then set things in the microwave. And it's the... (laughs) Yep. And it's the kind of thing, if somebody wants to have a goal, you know, when we go and teach classes, we don't take pots and pots of dyes we take a roll of cling film in the microwave and some paintbrushes and literally you paint onto your yarn and once it's painted you roll it up in the cling film and it goes into the microwave and it comes that's awesome it's fantastic and the only thing that you need to set it is either a bit of vinegar if you can stand the smell or some citric acid which is that stuff they put in sour fizzy sweeties oh yes it's very addictive in the workshop to think oh (laughs) Tasty, very bad, but very addictive. <laughs> That's incredible. I always think of dye as being, sort of dyed yarn as being that you're creating art on a blank canvas and then that goes on to be sort of the masterpiece gets finished by the knitter. But, you know, actually using paintbrushes yeah. to paint on your yarn, I just love that. I just think it's, it's, it's that real... It's all hands-on, but it's, it's I don't know, just something about the dye and the, the yarn and getting your hands in there and, and making something with that. It's a brilliant thing. It's such a nice way to be able to work, I think, because you can, you can dye tiny amounts of yarn that way as well. That if you think, I don't actually want to do this for a living, but I want to dye 40 colours. You can do that really easily by just dyeing little amounts of things. Um, and that's perfect because a lot of projects just want smaller things. So you can yeah. buy a yarn base that you love and think, well, 90% of my, my garment's going to be grey, but I want some pops of colour and I can dye those really easily. Good fun. Yeah, really good fun. And when it comes to 
you know, your colourways. How, where do you find inspiration? Like a couple of episodes ago, I was speaking to Leona at Fluff and we were talking about puddling and how she gets inspiration just from kind of experimenting and making a bit of a mess and just, you know, puddling with the water and the dye and seeing what comes out of it. But do you work that way or do you, do you find your inspiration in your, in your colour ideas in other ways? A lot of the ideas for some colours don't come from anything visual. They come from things that somebody has said or things that I've seen written down. Um, we had a colourway for a while called Undead. And it it came about because somebody had written about undyed yarn on Ravelry. And Spellcheck and its infinite wisdom had decided that undyed wasn't the right thing and undead was. <laughs> and this sort of got us into thinking now if you had an undead yarn what would it be so we had lots of sort of gothic purples and greys and blacks and that yarn came about that way without any picture or anything like that in front of us so quite often it's something that somebody says as much as seeing something because then I suppose you look at pictures and a picture and the colours are already in there yeah. Also, I was talking to Sylvie of Phileas Yarns for an upcoming episode, and she she dies, uh, and her inspirations are very much from her travels. And we were talking about that thing of it can actually be quite hard to do something from a visual, to die from a visual, because the way your eye sees it, a camera picks up differently, and you can never quite. It can be a really hard task to create something in that sort of vision. It can be inspired by a bit. It, it can be very hard to create it in that exact light that you sort of recall it or remember it or visualize it from. Yeah. When I'm teaching, one of the things I ask people to do is bring a picture or an object, so something that they want to use as their inspiration, just so they're not sat there looking at a blank screen, a bank bit of yarn, thinking, "Eek, what do I do?" <laughs> And people either turn up with an image and what they produce at the end, you think, I would never know that came from that, but it's gorgeous. Or occasionally you will get somebody and they will turn up and they will have this vision and they will make it happen. The last wow. class I taught, there was somebody turned up with a book cover and it was very sort of golds and reds and really beautiful. And that was exactly what her yarns were. She had just this really, really clear thing. And she said that she was such a visual person that it worked for her to have a picture in front of her and say, this is it, these are my colours. Mm-hmm. And it was lovely. But the woman next to her had a picture of, sort of lichen on a, a, sort of a pile of stones. And she ended up picking up, it was all pinks and stuff. And there was one tiny fleck of pink in this picture. And she started with that and then just played and added colours. And you think... Yeah, both pictures inspired things, but in such different ways. That's it, a picture paints slides and words, I suppose they say, but uh, and that kind of way that you can sort of go mad with an original source or try and stick to it. But I think it must be quite hard to 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 stick to to it sometimes. But you, I mean, you do a lot of a lot of your colours are repeatable, aren't they? Sort of. Um, <laughs> because you die in small batches, so that always means that it's unique, I guess. But you do have some kind of, I say, like maybe quotes, stock colorways. Yeah, or, is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, even with 
them, I tend to want to play about with them because sometimes I dye them and sometimes I think I want these to be so saturated and so bright. <laughs> and the other day I think actually it'd be really nice if we toned this down slightly or we added something else just to knock it off centre slightly. So it's not that there is a big dye recipe book and I sort of think, right, I want to dye this, so I need so much of this and so much of this. It just doesn't work like that. It's a lot, lot more random. One of the things I love doing is starting off with sort of maybe mixing a couple of colours together, dyeing part of the scheme with that and then thinking, right, now that's on the yarn, what do I want to put with it next? I think it's like a, work, a total work in progress. Yeah, and I, I suppose it's one of the lovely things that when you get to do this as a job, there's no fear with it. It's not like when you do a workshop and you have one skein of yarn and you kind of have to try and make it behave because if it goes wrong, that's it. If it's what you do as a job, you can always over dye things and change things. And I think once you stop having that fear about what if I really mess this up, that's when wonderful things happen because you don't stop yourself trying things. You do think, yeah, I can put some gold with that, I can put some lime with that, and we'll see how it looks. And some of the best things to come out of the dye pots are colours that if you'd said to me, now we're going to put this and this together, you know, I would have been making being sick noises. I wouldn't have been enthused <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then I guess that the, that the wool base that you use has a huge impact on how those colours and dyes will be on, on different ones. So let's talk a little bit about your wool, because... Is it, are you now 100% all bases British? At the minute, everything is British. So I'm sort of happy with that, but not completely, because some of our British is British Falkland. At the oh, yes. minute, the Polworth that's in the Britsock is British Falkland. We're working with John Arbin, and by the end of the year, even our Britsock will be all UK wool. Because Britsock has just recently had a little bit of an evolution, so by the end of the year it's going to have another little evolution, it's, is it? It's, it's going back to how it was originally, because originally it was UK Blueface that was in it. And then Blueface became, everybody wanted Blueface, and there basically yeah. wasn't enough to go around. So the, the flip of that was we used another yarn for a while. But really what we want to do is get to the point that everything is from UK flocks. It's been processed in the UK, it's been spun in the UK, and then it comes to us for dyeing. Because wool's bulky and it seems kind of mad to ship it. And we have good regulation in this country that when things are being processed, they're being processed properly with minimum damage to the environment. And it's UK jobs. It's interesting speaking to Laxtons, who are less than an hour away from us, who are at Big Center, and they were out in Poland, and they brought the factory back to Yorkshire. And you go out, and it's this huge warehouse, and it's so high-tech and amazing. And you go and walk around, and there's these crates of amazing stuff, because they spin for fantastic people. Like, they spin for Chanel. Yes. This is very lovely, and, you know... It's incredible. They don't quite say, get your paws off that meat. But it's fantastic that that's, that's jobs that have come local. And West Yorkshire Spinners are local. They are just doing incredible things and get, getting more and more popular, I think, with the knitters. I think the knitters are going, oh, what, it's a commercial spun yarn and it's British? Oh, you know, because we know there are lots of yarn companies in the UK who are not using even a tiny little bit of British wool. So it's really, really refreshing that, um, that in Yorkshire there is... Uh, a woolen mill who is using, you know, British breed 
fibre and wool to create a, a really, really fantastic range, right from their sort of Air Valley, very affordable, pocket-friendly blend yarn up to the sort of illustrious now, which is, I guess, is their more luxury blend with alpaca and merino and and then the naturals as well the single breeds there it's fantastic we need more of this please yeah definitely. i think between them and lax they're both fantastic and they both have at least some british breed yarns in there yeah which is wonderful and they're both sort of within an hour's drive of the house that you think actually i can pop over and see these people it's lovely that there is so much interest now in british wool and it would be even better I think, if it could actually be interest in UK wool. Because I think when people say British wool, that's what they think. They think, I'm buying British wool, it's from a flock in England or, or Wales or Scotland. Don't actually think, oh, it's travelled quite a long way yeah. to get here. And it's it's not dishonest, it's just slightly misleading. The muddy waters that, that are out there in British wool, a lot of it's down to labelling. We need to have clear labelling like that so that you are fully aware. I think it's a sort of general thing. I remember speaking to somebody at a trade show and she was explaining to me how we could buy bags from China for printing on and make basically be able to say, yes, it's made in the UK, and all you've got to do is sew a button on it. So sad. It's horrendous. And it's horrible that something that people care about is being used to cheat people in a way. Yeah. And and in the last year, I would say there's been much more of the made in the UK tag on wool from British companies that, as we know, could it, as you say, it could just have been labelled here or skeined here um, at the very minimum. That's enough to say it was made in the UK. I don't think people are not going to buy it because it says it's from a British company, but it's in its British wool, but it was spun in china people just let people make up their own mind and have that information there it's uh, you know it's why i absolutely adore rachel atkinson's daughter of a shepherd um labels which has not only does it have the shepherd but it has where it came from where it was spun you know just it doesn't need to be a lot it just needs to be clear it's that real traceability, isn't it? It's lovely. One of the things I'm massively excited about is we're working with Blacker Yarns, um, who are the nicest people. So we did a Wednesdaydale in Shetland with them, but going forward, not the next batch, because we ran out of the first batch really quickly. They're basically trying to bribe the guys who do the spinning to squeeze a job in for me before they get involved in something really huge, which is not the Santa. I'm offering to send sweets and things and Betty's and things like that. It's like, please spin my yarn. Please, please. We picked the absolutely worst time to decide to do this yarn because it was spun in January, which isn't really when anybody's sheathing and selling fleece. But from the summer, we'll literally narrow it down so it will come from two flocks and we'll You'll know which farms they come from. And the idea going forward is that hopefully they'll be Yorkshire. Fantastic. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you about that um, because you, it's 85% Wensedale and the, and the rest is Shetland. So did you know when you decided you, you were going to have this custom spun yarn, did you kind of know what you wanted it to do and, and pick the breeds that way or did you have the breeds in mind first? I wanted something really that would work for garments that didn't need to be sort of butter soft. I wanted something that I could think, I can make a jumper in this. 
and in five years time I'll still have this jumper and it will still look good. It will be something that will last. And one of the things I remember from being in Shetland when I went up to visit mum and dad when they were there is going to the museum and seeing garments that had been knitted in Shetland wool and they looked immaculate and they were the best part of 100 years old. And they'd been worn. It wasn't that, you know, somebody had been given something by their granny and they hated it and it sat in a drawer and nobody ever actually put it on. Because you could see how things had been worn and mended, but you could see how good the structure of the wool still was. There were still years and years and years of wear left in those sweaters. And I think if you're going to spend money on hand-dyed yarn, it's not, you know, it's not a cheap thing to spend your money on. You could get an awful lot of acrylic for the same money. But you want something that's going to be a pleasure to work with, but you don't want something that actually, once you put it on, once it's been worn a couple of times, you start to think, actually, it's cost me a lot of something that isn't fantastic. And I really wanted something that was almost heirloom garment to think, yeah, you know, this is going to be a sweater that, you know, somebody will steal from their dad because they want a big, cosy sweater. That yes. kind of thing. So that was really my initial thinking when I spoke to Lara um, and sort of chatted about what I wanted. I knew I wanted something that had quite a bit of shine. So I knew I wanted Winsladale and I wanted something with a bit of drape. So I wanted Winsladale. But I also wanted something with a bit of bounce. And it says a lot for Lara and the rest of the girls at Blacker that at this point they didn't just say, yeah, anything else? <laughs> you know, it was, no, no, we can make this happen. And they have been absolutely fantastic in, in sort of testing things up. So really, we wanted something that I kind of thought would be either yarn for the jumper or for the shawl. And when it came, because they've spun it with this amazing twist, because we talked a lot about really wanting a structurally sound yarn, it is the most perfect sock yarn as well. And I couldn't be happier. Yeah, it is such a good all-round yarn. I don't think you could have picked two better breeds for longevity. And I would always tell anybody if they wanted a wool to invest in as a sort of a garment to to be an heirloom item, to be a garment to invest in, Wensfordale and Shetland are the best. Mm. They really are the best. And my cardigan, I'm wearing my lush cardigan today, which is Wensfordale wool. And it hardly ever needs brushed there's hardly a pill every now and again I get the odd one underneath the arm but you know it's a really really hard wearing wool and I don't mean hard wearing in the sense that it's rough or made from girders <laughs> it's it's a it's it's soft it's fantastic against the skin and it's just got this longevity and then Shetland as you say those pieces that are in the museum have been worn and been probably handed down the generations worn for hundreds of years and there are items like that that are still being worn that have been knitted generations ago and it just goes to show you what wool can actually do and the fact that yeah when I first saw it when you sent it to me I was like this is going to be incredible for socks and then when I started winding it I was like oh my god this is going to be incredible look at the twist on this it's going to be incredible for jumpers it's going to be incredible for shawls and 
you know, if you wanted an all-round fantastic yarn, I think you've got it. Hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I'm so, so pleased with it. it. It's one of these things when you commission yarn, you know, you can sort of look at numbers and talk about twists and all the rest of it. But basically, you do not know what you are going to get. And there's always that moment when you open that big box and you think, I've got 20 kilos of this. I really hope it's okay. <laughs> But the colours, like, you know, all those things aside, hardware-in, um, drape, and all of those things aside, the colours are like, oh, my God, the the luster. You know, when I saw saw them in bulk at Edinburgh Yarn Festival laid out, it was like, you know, that way when you see, like, the moon on water and you just kind of want to dive into that? That's what this yarn was like. It's just incredible. How is it to dye, to dye this yarn? Uh, it is an absolute dream. And I think that's the Wensleydale. Um, it just takes dye so, so well. It's a really interesting yarn because it's, you know, it's a million miles than being a buttersoft merino. But we had a friend over with her, her daughter. Um, and Lily is very much, she does a lot of crafty things and she tends to do stuff with acrylic because she doesn't like wool, because she doesn't like the way that wool feels. Mm-hmm. And she picked up a skein of this stuff and she said, oh, you know, what is this? And jokingly, we went, oh, it's acrylic thinking. She's a smart, you know, <laughs> she's a very, very smart kid. She's going to go, oh, no, it's not. And she sat and she petted it and she was like, yeah. And you think, yeah, it's really interesting because if you'd said to me, find a wool that she would tolerate, that wouldn't have been the motley where I would have gone. I would have gone for something like the blue-faced roving, which is really soft. It's not a soft yarn, but it's so not an itchy yarn. No, I've got mine under my um, bra strap doing <laughs> <laughs> the, the prickle test, and I've forgotten it's there. I felt it in the, in, initially in the beginning, but now, I've, until you said it's, no, about that, I, I forgot it was there. Yeah. So it's it's not buttery soft, but it's it's got bags of character. The sock that I'm knitting is really textured, so it makes the fabric feel woolier and thicker but the swatch that I did had a bit of lace in it had a bit of just a bit of stockinette and a little bit of basket weaving it just after blocking it it just blocked incredibly and it's just do you think you'll stick with the four ply or I'd love to do a double knit in it I'd really really love to I'd also really like a lace weight but I think we might have found something else in blacker which will work mm-hmm as a least sweet. Is that anything you can tell us about? No. Or can you come back and tell us about it another time? That's probably something I need to come back and tell you about. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm just thinking this is by the point that I should really stop talking before I let myself in a whole pile of trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, we don't want you to get into trouble, but we do want you to keep on making fantastic mm. dyeing, fantastic British wool. Mm. So tell, come back and tell us about that. Yeah. But it is sort of addictive, isn't it? Once you start playing with different breeds and different weights. It's... Definitely. And it's something that we're really keen to do. One of the things we've been asked about a lot, we used to dye up a yarn called Same Difference, which was 250 gram skeins. So one was mainly one colour and a little bit of a second, and the other one was the opposite. And we've thought for ages it would be really, really lovely to find a way of doing this again. So we finally managed to find a yarn that we're going to be able to do this with. So it's going to be real luxury blend. And it's going to be a Banks woolen silk. Oh my goodness! So that oh my goodness, no. that will be incredible. And because it's 
got the Manx wool and the silk, okay, again, although it won't be intended massively to be a sock yarn, if you pick your socks carefully and you knit in little pins, they'll wear absolutely beautifully. And you might get a tiny bit of felting with the Manx Lockton. But then, like the Shetland, I find, you know, the primitive breeds tend to wash block and wear incredibly well. But yeah, as you say, like th- smaller pins, that would be incredible. Yeah. Sock yarn, but what an incredible yarn. And how amazing will it be to over dye that? That must be fun to experiment with too, over dye in natural shades. Oh, completely, because sometimes things very much do kind of what you expect and you think yeah it's given it a bit more depth but basically you know I've put red onto it and it still looks red and then sometimes you put colours up like you dye with yellows and you get the most amazing almost greens especially when you're dyeing over something with a bit of grey it's amazing how much even really strong golds and yellows shift yeah it's it's endlessly fascinating um you're the best job I do <laughs> even though fun things like if you put two different yarns into the same dye bath they'll take the yarn they'll take the dye differently I always find that when we're dying if we're dying Brit sock and sock wool because there's alpaca in the Brit sock oh yeah it steals the blues so if you if you mix up a kind of purple with blue and red if you put a skein of Brit sock and a skein of sock yarn into the same dye bath at the same time you'll not quite end up with a blue skin and a red skin but they'll be really different one will be mainly blue and one will be much more red that's amazing and it must be the same when you dye those kind of um that quote-unquote kind of the stock colorways on the wensleydale and shetland because that as you say the wensleydale takes the iron incredibly well so if you hold together a skein of gold in your brit sock and a skein of gold in the wensleydale and shetland they must look so like two different shades all together yes even being really careful and measuring out dye so we know exactly how much dye there is for each hundred gram skin down to a thousandth of a gram i knew those jeweler scales that i bought would come in useful eventually <laughs> and fitter with powder but yeah yarns just take dye so differently and that's it's lovely it's like a whole different thing to play with and yeah some yarns seem to really lend themselves to this is a very soft color it doesn't need much of dye and some some just really want punchy things and I felt that really with the Wensleydale Shetland I wanted something really punchy you know really properly jewel-like colours oh it's incredible they're they're just incredible but again the 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 shine the depth it's just a lot to take in when you even just look at the skin but when you're knitting it when when you're knitting up it's just such an utter delight to see that become a knitted fabric Mm -hmm. as well and see how the light catches it when you're knitting with it it's just as i say like such a massive tick (laughs) so you're saying that about about um the next spin do you know when that might be no (laughs) (laughs) that was a bit of a despairing no Lara at the minute is sourcing fibre for me by sort of seeing what there is to make sure that we get the best the best Shetland and the best Wensleydale that yeah. we can. And basically, as soon as it arrives with blacker, that's when I have to go in the charm offensive and start offering <laughs> to send anything that they would write, like really in, in order to squeeze my little batch job in before we do something else. But it's fantastic that there are a couple of local mills who will actually spin reasonably small the quantities of something because you speak to people at Laxton's and it's like yeah we look you know we're really happy to do a custom spin for you yeah you only need about 600 kilos of it that's yeah. a lot of wool 
That's a lot of wool. And I think this is something that there could be more of happening in the wool industry is that you can work with a mill very closely to create a very special kind of yarn that um, speaks a lot of where it's come from, but also is incredible in terms of what it can do in knitted, woven, crocheted, uh, you know, craft. And I think there could be far more of that happening. There are all these people out there with grabby hands for British wool and want something really spectacular. And and it's happening, it's, but there can be more. There's lots of more of it. Yeah, I think it's fantastic as well that people are actually in a position to say, I'm going to have a yarn and it's unique to us. Because yeah. for a while it felt Obviously. like we went to yarn shows and you'd walk around and you would see different colours and the same yarn bases again and yes. again and again and again. And you could think there's so much more out there. Let's not yeah. narrow it down to this tiny thing. Exactly. All of these single breeds and all of these fantastic crosses that we have in the UK. It's like this Wensleydale and Shetland. No, no one else is doing anything like this. This is so unique to you. It's like Tamar and the fibre content of that. No one else is doing that. That is completely and utterly unique to Blacker. And things like the Chopped Ginger Wool Project, these, you know, the single breed, single flock, natural colours. Again, it's very special and unique and showing people what British will do. And it's lovely as well, I think, because there's so much stuff now that it's not it's not quite there is only one skein of it but there isn't masses of it it's not yeah. like you know you go into marks and spencers and you might see a t-shirt that you like and there's reels of them and then there's reels of them in the next marks and spencers and the next marks and spencers and i think yeah. as knitters people have kind of worked out that they can have something that is what they want and that it's really nice to not have what everybody else has even when people are doing knit-alongs and maybe even knitting the same thing, people are more and more now making really interesting choices with what they're going to work with. And that's fantastic. I love it. Is. It is. And I think people are, when they are buying these really incredible, unique yarns, they're thinking, what can I make with it that is going to, you know, show off and be this really special item made in this really special yarn? One thing that's been so lovely, we sent some yarn over to Louise Tilbrook to design for oh, us. Oh, yes. Um, so I've been watching her because she's very good posting photos on Instagram. So I've sort of been seeing swatches of this thing as it's come together. And it's going to be the most amazing shawl. She's incredible. She is. Gorgeous stuff. So it's been fantastic to see a really textured stitch pattern and how it's going to look again in this yarn. And you think, oh, that's, that's so clever. And it's lovely to see what people take with something and do with it. I've said before, you make this work of art on this blank canvas and then you put it out into the world and you know people are knitting with it, but I guess it doesn't become real until you see in things on Instagram or Ravelry or at shows, you see them out, you know, your yarn out in the wild made into something. Oh, that's incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love that. It is really, really good. Oh, thank you so much, Joy, for that. For And thank you for getting on skype for the first time yay i've popped your skype cherry yay it's been been great fun thank you so much treasure thank you speak to you soon